Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. How are you this morning? Hey, Wayne. Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. If it's Tuesday, it must be podcast time. Thanks again for doing this. Yeah. A lot to get to today, but I think the big topic is the big news of this week. Uh, Yesterday, the Pfizer vaccine started rolling out, and it's, it's an effort, a mass vaccination effort, unlike anything the planet, the country have seen. Maybe you can just get into some of the logistics, the the potential problems. I mean, just tell us what's going on here. This is enormous. And and also, of course, great news. Yeah. First of all, it is great news, right? Uh, It was fun to see the picture, the video of the first American getting a vaccine outside of a clinical trial yesterday. The, uh, The nurse in New York, I think she was the first certainly one of the first in the country. Very exciting. And, you know, what that marked, and and I think we should not uh, forget this, it marked the beginning of the end of this pandemic. Now, let's be very clear. The end is still quite a a ways away. There are going to be many, many tough days between now and the end. But to feel like the end, we have begun to bring this pandemic under control, to tame it, is awesome. And I think we should absolutely acknowledge that. Now, let's talk about the logistics of what we're trying to do here. We are trying to get uh, about 20 million of these vaccine doses out. Uh, There's some questions of of the timing, et cetera. But we're trying to get, let's just say, millions of doses out. These doses are manufactured in plants. They have to be kept frozen at minus 96 degrees. They have to be shipped frozen. They have to be received frozen. Uh, and then they have to be thawed and relatively quickly administered. And the and the whole that whole thing is really about the stability of the vaccine uh, as it warms up. For it can it can be thawed and, and administered within a couple of days, uh, but it can't sit around for long periods of time unfrozen. It'll just become unstable and 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 not harmful. It just won't work, or we don't we have no reasons to think it'll work if we if that happens. So we essentially will end up spoiling this incredibly precious life-saving thing for which we have far too little right now. And so to make sure that gets pulled off is very, very complicated. The amount of time and effort that's gone into, for instance, every package, every box that's shipped, and this is being shipped to thousands of places across the country, uh, 
uh, everything is shipped with temperature sensors, GPS tracking. You know, we can't afford to lose these boxes, right? Like, oh, it can't be like, oh, we don't know where it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so FedEx and UPS have done this extraordinary amount of work in really planning all of this stuff out, uh, having it coordinated from the White House. Uh, it's awesome. And if you think that's complicated, which it is, later this week, we're going to have the Moderna vaccine get authorized. And Moderna's vaccine, also an mRNA vaccine, uh, does not have the same uh, frozen freezing requirements, but also has to be kept cold and has a slightly different set of issues and also has to get shipped out tens of thousands of, of these doses, millions of these doses to thousands of locations across the country. I mean, my gosh, like this is a, a very complicated. Maybe one last thing I'll say, Wayne, is I'm pretty optimistic this is going to go well, but you will absolutely hear stories of hiccups. You will absolutely hear stories of a box that ended up like, you know, uh, thawing out because there was an error in the freezer temperature setting or whatever. Those are going to happen. We're not going to get this 100%, but I'm pretty optimistic we'll mostly get it right. What I found very interesting and encouraging, I guess would be my word, is the, the government-private partnership. You've got FedEx and UPS, usually competitors, not usually. They are competitors. They, they are cooperating on this. Also, you have CVS and Walgreens who are going to be administering the vaccine to nursing homes and, and long-term care facilities. Yep. How did this come about? This was through Operation Warp Speed. Is that correct? It is. And, you know, um, when the history of this pandemic is written, there are lots and lots and lots of ways in which our federal government failed us. But one of the areas where it has done a generally an excellent job is Operation Warp Speed. This is why you need government, because you need government. Only government can bring people together. Only government can bring competitors together. Only government can put in the kind of resources to plan all this stuff. They've been planning this stuff for six months. And it shows. It's, it's so far going really well. And, you know, one of the, the logistics and supply chains are complicated issues. And, you know, who's amazing at it is the military. And so, in fact, they put a general... General Perna in charge of this uh, and said, let's make sure that we get the logistics and supply chain right. And he's everything I've seen so far says it's going really well. Again, it's not going to be perfect. I'm sure there'll be hiccups, uh, hiccups. Uh, but I, I remain very optimistic that the government has really done this well. Well, it certainly was great news. And, and we covered it here. And I guess every newspaper, every media outlet in the in the country covered it as well. So yep. we, last week, we opened up to our audience the uh, possibility of submitting questions. And we got yeah. a number of questions. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get to all of them. But we've chosen three uh, that you have agreed to answer. And let me start with the first one. This comes from a Webb McDonald. And he has a, a question about masks. And he says, initially, there was a run on N95 masks and then PPE. The general public was told to stop buying them. And the homemade masks became ubiqu ubiquitous. Now there are every variety of masks arriving from China and deluxe boutiques of all kinds. And this is really the question. Why is there not a standard mask now for the general population? Yeah, it's a very good question and, and an area of some frustration for me, because I think we should have done better on this. Right now, if you say, okay, 
uh, well, first of all, actually, before you even talk about what you'd want to buy, like one question people ask me is, are masks different or are they all the same? The answer is they're not all the same. Some masks are much, much better at protecting others and even protecting you than other, than other masks are. And we're not just talking about N95s. There are KN95s on the market from China. There are KF94s from Korea. There are uh, different quality cloth masks or surgical masks. And, you know, unless you're going to become an aerosol mask expert, it's really hard to sort out which mask you should buy for your family. And there have been two. There's the first set of arguments that people made, which I understand, but I don't, I'm not sure I 100% agree with, is, well, the government should have just made a standard mask for everybody. Okay, we could have done that. that. That would have been great. That would have certainly been better than what we have now, which is this kind of crazy uh, patchwork of no idea how good any of these masks are. What I actually did think the government, and I would have been fine with that and supportive of that, but an, an alternative is if you want to use the creativity of the marketplace, is you could have a certification process. You could have a process that says, you know, these are really high quality masks, and the government or some private consortium of companies does the testing and actually gives it a good housekeeping seal of approval kind of thing and says, these are really high quality masks. And and then, you know, let everybody make their own masks as long as they can meet the criteria and standards for those tests, because that's what would be useful. Um, we've not had either the government do it and private industry can do these things, but it's always easier if the government can help them do it. And the government just has largely, I don't know if it's because of the politicization or what, uh, but has just not played a helpful role here. And now we have a free for all of, you can buy whatever masks you want. Uh, but you have no idea whether it's okay, good, or great. So, what kind of what advice would you give to to consumers? You know, how do you determine cloth versus paper versus three layers, five layers? How does the you know the average person, of which I'm one, certainly our yeah. audiences? What do you recommend? Yeah, so I I tend to uh, talk about the importance of fit. That you, the one of the most important issues you got to make sure is that the mask fits well covers your nose, really covers um, uh, underneath your, goes all the way below your chin. Um, Multi-layered better than single layer. Um, high quality surgical masks can be quite good, but again, they often are reserved for hospitals. There are masks uh, you can buy through places like Amazon and stuff, uh, like KF94s. Uh, these are, they come from Korea. So the Chinese manufacturing, there's some fabulous masks, but there's some also fake masks that have not done very well. Uh, FDA, not FDA. Um, yeah, FDA has some emergency use authorizations of certain masks. The Europeans do. I think if you don't want to do like, if you don't want to have to spend weeks and weeks researching all of this, the basic stuff is KF94s from Korea, as long as you have a good fit, work well. Cloth masks that are multi-layer, as long as they fit well, work well. Those neck gaiters really don't do much, and I don't. I really tend to kind of avoid those. So uh, we had a question from an Evan Goff uh, who wrote in from Missouri, and he says that their son will be a freshman on campus at Brown University soon. Your school, yeah. of course. Yeah, we're extremely excited for him to have this experience, but also concerned about taking all proper precautions. And the question. Yep is 
specifically, what about students who have previously experienced anaphylactic reactions and are now being told not to take the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine? Yeah, good. Two, two parts of that question in my mind. One is let's talk about the allergic reaction to the vaccines uh, because we should just talk about what we know. Um, right now, we don't know exactly what called, caused those allergic reactions. Remember, there are two nurses who had them. Uh, both of them had a history of severe uh, reactions. And so the guidance from the FDA is if you've had severe anaphylactic reactions, you should probably be holding off. Uh, a freshman in college is not going to be front of the line uh, for getting a vaccine anytime soon. And, they, you know, most young, healthy people won't get a vaccine probably for several months. And we will have a lot more information, including other vaccines. Like we'll know more from the we'll have Moderna vaccines. We'll, my guess is we'll have one or two other vaccines. So what I would say to this parent is uh, the, the average healthy 18 year old isn't going to get a vaccine in January anyway, or December anyway. Why don't we um, see how things play out? But I am confident there will be a vaccine that, that their son will be eligible for. Uh, you know, in terms of campus precautions, I do think universities that are taking this virus seriously, and I certainly think Brown is one of them, can make the, the campus environment safer than the home environment. We just ran a whole semester of classes, had very, very few people get infected, no outbreaks. Um, and we do it through testing and really good policies around mask wearing and social distancing. So when parents ask me, is it safe to send my kid to college? The answer it depends on the college. And if the college is taking the virus seriously, yeah, not only is it safe, it's probably safer than just keeping them at home. Because if you're keeping them at home, they're still socializing. They're still like, it's right. not like they're just hanging out in their room 24 <laughs> And they're probably not getting tested. And they're probably not in as much of a structured environment. So universities that I think are doing a, a good job on this can keep students reasonably safe. Nothing is perfect in a pandemic. So our final question for today comes from a Dr. Robert Smith and he writes, should patients on biologics like Humira, who thus are immunosuppressed, receive COVID vaccine at the same time the elderly receive it or with the first responders? And, and how do you answer that question? Yeah, it's a bit of a complicated question. I don't know if this is a physician asking me. Uh, maybe it might be. Uh, let me say a couple of things. First of all, um, we don't have any uh, reasons to, to suggest that these vaccines vaccines are contraindicated in immunocompromised people. So for instance, if you have HIV, you absolutely can get this vaccine and, and you should. In terms of prioritization, uh, that's really variable from state to state. Uh, states are, are making determinations about what is a level of immunocompromised state that puts you at high risk? Uh, how do they go with elderly versus elderly with comorbidities? So I think there's going to be a little bit of difference by state and states are just trying to make some decisions. But I certainly think people who are immunocompromised are going to be among the early people getting the vaccine and they should be. Uh, there are some specifics around biologics, which I'm going to punt on because I don't know that I know enough about people on biologic agents and getting this vaccine. And I certainly don't want to be giving out 
you know, not wealth uh, understood um, medical advice in this podcast. So if you are somebody who, who is on a biologic, uh, you should talk to your rheumatologist or your oncologist or whoever has got you on that uh, to sort that out. My guess is, again, most of those people will be eligible, but, uh, but that's a conversation between a patient and, and their physician. Thank you. And, and since we've established this as a regular feature of the podcast, uh, I would uh, tell our audience again, if you have questions for Dr. Jar, write to gwmiller at providencejournal.com. And in the subject field, please write question for Dr. Jar. So before we sign off for today, uh, Ashish, any final words about what the week ahead or, or any final words on anything? You're, it's, yeah, you're, I, I, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, again, I'm super excited about Moderna's vaccine getting evaluated this week. Uh, you know, on the Pfizer vaccine during the evaluation, I mean, during the public hearing, we saw the release of a ton of data that just gave me that much more confidence about the impact of this vaccine, how safe it is and how uh, useful, how effective it is. Um, I'm hoping that I'm going to see a lot more Moderna data uh, later this week, and that will help me understand that vaccine better. And I remain very optimistic. And my hope is that over the weekend or by Monday, we're going to start seeing the Moderna vaccine uh, starting to roll out. And I think there's a lot of uh, excitement about all of this. So the key message to people is the vaccines are coming. They're going to start making a difference in a meaningful way within a couple of months. Uh, even if most people don't get it for three, four months, just they'll have a broad societal impact. And you got to hang out until then. And you got to hold on and do the things that you need to do to keep yourself and your family safe. Uh, the end is so near. Uh, this is not the time to let up. And uh, so stay safe, stay well, and I look forward to being back next week. Thanks, Ashish. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.